thinking clearly about money. I think that we can at least be clear about this. Whenever churches talk about money, people think that it's a giving talk, right? Can we be clear about that? Is that clear? I mean, we just get that out of the way. When I say we're having a series on money, what you think is we're having a series on giving. Cool? Is that clear? That's not what we're having. All right, just, just, I'm not going to talk about giving all the time. Uh, I think when a believer talks about money, they talk about giving. Um, but that's not really the point of this. The point of this is um, I want you to think clearly about money. You say, well, why do you want that so bad? I'm your shepherd. <laughs> I'm your pastor. I love you. Um, God's word says so much about money. 2,351 uh, 2, times Jesus, in, in 2,351 2, verses, Jesus talks about money or positions or stuff like that. 15% um, of everything Jesus said was about money and possessions. So it's a pretty big deal. Um, you know, everybody likes to crack this out. It's, he, all he talked about money is more than prayer, faith, heaven, hell combined. You're like, whoa, <laughs> okay. Like, it's a big deal, all right? Let's not make it more than it is, though, because money's not more important than salvation. I think salvation is the key to money because when God has your heart, he has all of you. Money's just a part of it, right? So why would we focus just on this one part for four weeks? Well, let me give you some context. Uh, many of you guys know when I went away for my preaching week this summer, um, what was on my heart was like, God has to get us in a building sometime, right? And so it's like, well, is God going to do that? And we're going to miracle, like Shop Corner Earth is going to be like empty, and we're just going to get in there, and it's going to be awesome. Woo! God can do that. I, trust me, I know God can do that. But God can also use the people that he brings to the church to steward their money and to pool their money because they're united together and to say, together, here's our money. We're going to go buy a building because we want more people to hear about Jesus. And that's how to do it. So I think the background of this is the elders of the church and myself, we've been thinking about, okay, a building. And it's not fair for us to see next year as like maybe a financial campaign or a way to like raise money and, and not be like, hey, let's prepare people. Let's prepare people's finances. Let's prepare people's heart to be in the position where they can do that and they're not feeling guilty and it's not weird. So that's really what we're trying to do as your shepherds, as your teachers. Uh, we're trying to say, hey, money's a big deal and uh, it's not bigger than anything else, right? Um, even though I've used all these stats to tell you how much money is a big deal in Scripture, it's not a bigger deal than anything else, right? But it's a big deal. And so when we talk about it, we talk about it like we talk about anything else that we talk about in the church. Um, flip open your Bible to Luke chapter 12, because uh, Jesus has a lot to say about money, but I was trying to get it from like one book. Um, and so Luke gives us much about money, Matthew does as well, all the Gospels, but uh, I'm going to get it all from Luke, this series. And uh, the title of the message is, There's More to Life. There's more to life. There's more to life than money, that's for sure. And yet, you got to have money to make it go round, right? If you don't have money, it ain't going well. Is that clear? I mean, if you don't have anything to go buy lunch with today, um, you're in trouble, you're not in as much trouble as if you don't have money to go buy lunch for like a week. You know, but I'm, none of us are probably in that position, huh? Because we could just slip the card in and pay for it later, you know. But really, truly, we are in trouble if we're upside down in debt and whatnot. And uh, we do, really don't have money to buy lunch. And uh, that can stress some of us out. Uh, as I just said that, I'm thinking, man, that could bring some stress. Here's what I'm going to say. When Jesus speaks about money, I want to listen. And I want to follow him because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. So let's get after it. Luke chapter 12. Um, I'm going to read it for you. And then we're going to get um, three principles here about money and possessions from Jesus Christ. 
If you're in Luke chapter 12, tell me you're there. All right, perfect. Okay, Luke chapter 12, um, verse 13. Jesus is talking, preaching about uh, the Pharisees, and he's talking and preaching about, um, you know, don't have any fear of man, have fear of God. And then he goes on to like, hey, you should acknowledge Jesus Christ. If you acknowledge Christ, then I'll acknowledge you. And he's in the middle of all this stuff, and he's like, the Holy Spirit will teach you what you ought to say. And he's like preaching away, like, preach, preach, preach. Jesus, preach it. Preach it, Jesus. I wish I could have been there. I would have been like, preach it, Jesus. I would have. And then all of a sudden, a guy interrupts. So I don't know, that hasn't really happened in our service yet, but one of these days, somebody's going to like stand up and start shouting at me. I could just feel it, okay? Um, but this is what happens. It's like a guy stands up and he's like, hey, hey, what about this? Mr. Know-it-all, Mr. Jesus man, what about this? All right, so uh, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, teach me, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. He said to him, Man, who made me judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. I'd like you to take your pen and underline or box. I have that boxed and highlighted in my Bible, covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. Bumper crop. And he said, I will do this. Great idea. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will... Say to my soul, soul, that's weird, just saying, you have ample goods laid up for many years, relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said, when God speaks, you want to listen, right? When Jesus says what God says, it's like, I'm really listening, but God said to him, fool. Not supposed to call anybody a fool. But when God does it, it's okay. Because he knows. I don't know your heart, but God knows your heart. So if God calls you a fool, I'm going with that. This night, your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Good question. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And he said to his disciples, because whenever you have a parable, some people get it, some people don't. You might be looking at that going, I don't get it. I understand. <laughs> and then some people do get it. And he always is going to explain it, right? So he's explaining a little bit to his disciples, and he said to his disciples here, Therefore, because of what I've said here now, I tell you, do not be anxious for your life, what you will eat, nor uh, be anxious for your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider, now I want you to box that word. We've been going after consider in the book of Haggai, right? Now it's here again. Consider. Think, 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 think clearly now. The ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet, God feeds them. Go God. Of how much more value, I want you to circle that word value. You are valuable to God. I want you to know that. Of how much more value are you than the birds? That seems a bit sarcastic. You're more valuable than birds. Good thing. 
And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, add an hour to your life, why then are you anxious about the rest? Eating, drinking, clothing. Consider the lilies. Second thing, ravens and lilies. <laughs> How they grow. They neither toil nor spin. They weave or bounce. <laughs> Yet I tell you, even Solomon, the wisest man in all the earth who wrote Proverbs, in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. You haven't seen a king you haven't seen a queen. You haven't seen a person. You haven't seen anybody arrayed like one of these. Knit perfectly by the Father's hand. But if God so clothes the grass, and He does, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven to be burned for fuel, how much more will He clothe you O you of little faith. Now this is something that he says to his disciples often. And so it's okay for us to listen and get this from Jesus. When Jesus says, O you of little faith, he doesn't mean like slap, 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 what's wrong with you? He's like, hey guys, get a different perspective. Right? If you look at this from God's view rather than from the world's view, faith is going to be off the charts and worry doesn't even exist. That's what he's saying. He's like, change your perspective, guys. Don't just have a little faith, a little that you muster up. Have all the faith, right? And live in that faith. It's a different existence. And do not seek what you are to eat or what you are to drink, nor be worried. I'd like you to box that word worried. Just, just throw a box around that. Worried. It's going to be key to the message. Verse 30, let's finish strong. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. Can I get an amen? Is that true? Yeah, that's pretty much. That's pretty much true. That's it. And your Father knows that you need them. So everybody's seeking this, and God knows that you need this. You can get over it now. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, just precious ones, loved ones. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. That's going to need some explanation. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let's pray. Father, this is a great passage, and as we read it, it has so much there. It's rich with food for us. And so could I ask you, to speak clearly the things that you have to say about our money and our possessions? Would it counsel my heart, my family, the way we do life? Would it counsel the hearts of your people here, their families, and the way they do life? And would it counsel those who have maybe just walked in today for the first time who don't even know Jesus? other than just by name? And would it bring them into a deep and meaningful relationship with You, God, through Jesus Christ, Your Son? You love us so much. Your plan is so good. It's Your good pleasure to give us the kingdom. Thank You, God. Help us to keep that in mind as we study these things. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen. Hey, three principles, okay, about God's money, uh, about 
our possessions, God's possessions. I don't know. How you look at it is different, right? You might say, it's my money, it's my possessions. You might say, it's God's money, it's God's possessions. And that's a big change, right? So I'm going to flip back and forth because I'm both flesh and in spirit. And so I might say, my money, and I really mean God's money. <laughs> I might mean God's money, and if my heart's not right, I really mean my money. <laughs> and so just grace in all those things as I speak. Uh, three principles about money and possessions from Jesus. Here's the first one. Beware of greed. It will kill you. I mean, greed will flat out kill you. Beware of greed, it will kill you. See, this man, someone, I don't know his name, in the crowd that spoke up and said, Hey, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And that's just a, that's a large thing there. If anybody ever asks you to settle a dispute about an inheritance... I have one word for you. Run! Because you get in the middle of that thing and it's going to be ugly. Because everything, everybody thinks they deserve something when they deserve nothing. They didn't make the money. It's not theirs. What's well, my mom and dad's? Well, big deal. You deserve zilch. Just saying. And I hope that you've cared for your parents and everything. And like, it's, but they're not paying you back for that. And you're not doing anything to get paid. Unless you get it all in the right perspective. He's saying, tell my brother to split the inheritance with me, to divide it 50-50. Now here's the biblical principle you can look in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 21, verse 15 through 17. Um, I'm not going to get into it too much, but the firstborn got a double portion. So if you're the firstborn in your family, I'm the baby of the family, I'm getting squat, right? But the firstborn would get twice as much as everybody else, right? No, you're, getting a, you're, you're taking a haul, all right? Tate, you get, you get a little. And Kara and Levi and Quinn too, right? So, I mean, you split it, the first guy gets double, everybody else gets an equal share. This guy, I'm assuming it's just him and his brother, and he say, split it with me 50-50. What should it be? 66, 33, there it is. Here's the problem. And Jesus says it. Jesus said, man, who made me to be judge or arbitrator over you? Is Jesus the judge? Uh, yes, he is. At the end, we're all going to stand before Jesus. So the fact that he says, who made me judge, is kind of weird. But it's not that weird because he's like, this is so trivial I won't even waste my time on this. This is so minuscule. Take it to the court. Take it to the authorities. Take it somewhere else. This is crazy. And he won't even give it the time of day. Except for, he's going to talk to the heart. So he's like, forget that. But what a great teaching point. Let's get to the heart. Here it is. He said, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. Take care. Take care is to see, to become visible. So, I need you to see that covetousness is a problem, right? So, I brought a few props. Um, this is a Pier 1 magazine. I don't know that I've ever been to Pier 1, actually. Um, but for some reason, um, or a current resident got to me, okay? And so I'm looking through this this week and ready to throw it in the trash. And I'm like, oh, this would be a great thing on Sunday. Because this is what happens to me all the time. I get marketed. But I don't really see it clearly. When the Target ad comes, because I go to Target, I'm like, yeah, let's see. Can I get a deal? The more I spend, the more I save. Right? But I'm looking through Pier 1 and I'm going, this is all fancy stuff, but it's just like, I, I don't have this kind of house and uh, I don't need plates with names on it. I don't know. I, those stockings are cool, but whatever. I, I mean, it's just like, I look at this and it's easy for me to throw it away. But if it was something different, like a sports magazine or something, and I want a pair of shoes, I'd be like, oh, you know what I mean? So this might speak to you, ladies. It doesn't speak to me, but something that comes in the mail will speak to you. Here's my love language. All right? I, 
I don't even like the shop, but shoprogester.org, shout out. Um, it sends me coupons monthly. And I always look through here and I find places that I'd really like to go and I think, man, if I go there, I could save money. So I should go. And so then I say to Kim, like, Kimberly, um, I say, you know, what do you think about, and she's like, dude, we don't need to do that. We don't have the money for that. I'm like, ah, the voice of reason. <laughs> I'm like, but just, just, just in case we go to Dunn Brothers, just in case we were to go there, I don't drink coffee, but just in case, there's a dollar off any breakfast entree. So if I'm going to buy a breakfast entree, I might as well save a dollar. And then it takes more than a dollar's worth of time to clip the coupon, keep it in a spot, mental energy, and make sure I take it with me. <laughs> so I'm releasing myself of that dollar. And I'm going to throw it away. But I don't do that on a regular basis. Why not? Because I think I might be missing out. I think I might not be getting something I should get. And he says, do you see it? I want you to take care. Do you see it? Do you see how the world is marketing you? Do you see how the world has you thinking a certain way? The commercials, the billboards, the magazines, they have me. I go into a store and I'm fine until I'm there for about 20 minutes and I think, man, maybe I should buy something. Maybe, maybe it would be a good idea to buy another Lego. We have a million, you know? Okay, I exaggerate. We have a hundred. It's crazy. So, do you see it? Is it visible? And then he says, be on guard. Keep away from it. Watch out. Beware is the word I used. Beware of greed, covetousness. So I wrote down this, this word covetousness. Uh, I wrote down the definition here. Um, to covet, wrong desire without regard for the rights of others. To wish for, especially eagerly, to have an, inor an inordinate and wrongful desire. Well, how do I know if it's wrong or not? See, that's the problem. Is it wrong for me to want to go to Flapdoodles and get a double right now? I mean, is that wrong? Is it really wrong? Depends. Are you thinking about God or are you thinking about you? I mean, let's just boil it down to that. Am I thinking about what God would do with that time at Flap Doodles and that food for fuel? Or am I thinking about me? I mean, I got to tell you, I'm thinking about me more than I think I'm thinking about me. Covetous, wrong, wrongly desirous of wealth or possessions, greedy. That's where I got the word. Greedy or eagerly desirous. So greed, we'll just throw it up on the screen. Here's the definition. An excessive desire for more than I need. More than is needed. I don't need that much. I don't need two scoops. One will do. But I like two different flavors. Come back next week. I don't know. But I got to have it now. Get it while I can. Butter brickle's not out. Then walk out of the store. You can come back next time. We just don't think that way. So what's the opposite of that? I was like, Looking at, okay, so if that's greedy, I want to be not greedy. Stop being greedy. Beware of that. It'll kill me. What do I want to be on? What's the opposite of greedy? Generous. Giving. Right? So, so here, I wrote down two things that I thought were insight. I'm not enthusiastic about the world's stuff. Could that be said of you, of me? I'm not enthusiastic about the world's stuff. When I get the catalog, it doesn't make my heart go, woo! I'm like, dude, that's just stuff. That's a different kind of heart. I'm, just, I'm not saying I'm there. I'm just saying that's, I'd like to get there. <laughs> I'm reluctant to buy stuff. Would you say that? I mean, because I would never say that. I'm kind of like all in on buying stuff. I look at my closet. I took a picture of my closet the other day. I was going to get it on the screen. I forgot. Sorry. But, you know, I got all these clothes, all these shirts, and I'm like looking at all this stuff, and I'm like, 
I think the place you can find out if you're greedy or not is look at your closet and look at your garage, right? If you got too much stuff, you're just like, maybe I'm greedy. I don't know. And then I think the, am I reluctant to buy stuff or am I like really, really, really excited to buy stuff? I get excited easily about everything. Buying stuff is no exception. So I'm like really excited to buy some stuff. The next phrase is so important. Do you see it there in your Bible? This is maybe a key to the message. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. I'm going to say it again. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You read it. What does it say? Okay, now, I've been reading that and reading that and reading that all week, and it's God's word, and Jesus said it, and so I think I believe it. Do you believe it? Do you believe that to be true? I believe that to be true. I came to the point this week as I was studying, I believe that is true. God said it, it's in his word. I think I, think I have even experienced that to some degree in my life, so I believe it. Here's the backside of that. Then why am I living a lie? I'm, I'm talking about me. Then why am I living a lie? If I think that's true, then why is more better in my life? Then why do I hope to get another shirt for Christmas so that I don't have to like pay attention to rotating so you don't think I wear the same clothes all the time? <laughs> why am I even thinking about what you think about? I mean, think about it. It doesn't make sense. When I'm thinking about what you're thinking about, I'm not thinking about what God thinks. And all I want to do is think about what God thinks. It's a different mentality. So God, what do you think? Why do I, well, this is what he thinks. Your life doesn't, isn't about how much you have. Then why do I want more, God? Why do I want more if it's not going to make me any better? And why am I living a lie that says I believe God's word, but I live as if I don't believe God's word. I've been really wrestling with this this week. I think you can tell that. So he gives us the parable, and he says, the land of a rich man produced plentiful. Just notice that the land produced plentiful, not the rich man. Just notice that. Okay, and he thought to himself, look at all these personal pronouns, that what shall I do, for I have nothing Nowhere to store my crops. Five times he's going to use my something. And he said, I will. Four times he's going to say, I will do this. I will tear down my, my barns and build larger ones. It's not like he didn't have anything. And I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will, I'm ready to vomit now, my soul. It's easy to see it in his life. You're like, you're a loser. You're selfish. But I can't see it in my own life, right, when I get like that. So it's easy to see it. So he's a soul. I don't ever talk to myself like that. I do say stuff to myself all the time. But I've never said to myself, not one time, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, I think there's a key to this, and, and again, I, I, I'd have to study a few more weeks to get it, but relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Eat, drink, and be merry comes from Isaiah. It's not wrong to eat, drink, and be merry. These are all things that God's given us, okay? But the relax is interesting. God never really tells us to relax. Interesting, isn't it? He tells us to rest. There's a difference. Another message, another time. He tells us to rest. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. What happens if you gain the whole world? This guy had the world by the tail and yet lose your own soul. That's the verse. This night your soul is required of you. You're, you're coming up, you're giving an account. <laughs> the judgment right here. 
And the things, all this stuff that you have prepared, that you think you did, that the land, I mean, I don't know if you know anything about crops, but I mean, the farmer has to do some stuff. He works really hard. But, you know, there's a lot of other conditions that need to be met for a good bumper crop. He, some things are out of his control. God's done some stuff here. This guy's got a lot, and he's forgotten about God. Whose will they be? Can you answer that question? Whose are they going to be? They're going to go back to God, right? God's going to put them wherever he wants. They're coming back to me. It's all mine anyway. It's coming back to me. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and not, is not rich towards God. So there's two things here. Lays up treasure and rich towards God. Okay? Two things. Lays up treasure for himself. No, treasure for yourself. Now, I think it's really good. The Bible would even say it's really good to plan for your future. Okay? To set some money aside, to have some money for a rainy day, just in case you lose your job, just in case God gives you a God moment, you should have some money set aside, okay? Now, that being said, the word retirement, I'm going to get myself into trouble right now in church, but retirement is not a biblical ideal or principle, okay? It's not. This is an American idea that, that somehow, some way, I should stop working become self-absorbed and go do whatever I want for the rest of my life. And I would say to you, if you're at retirement age, I know there's not a ton of people here like that, but if you're at retirement age, keep working, right? Keep working. And I don't mean you have to have a job, right? You might not have to have a job. Awesome, you have more time to serve the Lord then. Don't go play golf. I mean, once in a while, but take God with you. Talk to people about, you know, again, I'm off now. It doesn't, that doesn't matter. Like, the point is, you don't retire from being, like, I've heard people say this in church. I did my time in nursery. When my kids were in nursery, I served in nursery. Well, good for you. At what age is it like I'm not in nursery anymore age? When you can't physically get down on your hands and knees, it might be time. But if you still can then go love on some babies, right? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Like I reached this like pinnacle of Christianity that says I don't serve in nursery anymore. That doesn't make any sense. Okay, lunacy over. Um, lay up treasures for himself. I think we, um, we don't check out, we don't become self-absorbed. Abundance here, though, is not the problem. Okay? It's not a problem for him to have abundance. That's not the problem. But it's also not the solution. I think a lot of us think, if I had more, I'd be better. If I had more money, if I had more this, if I had more... Like, we think it's the solution. It's not the solution. What's the solution? That's the second part. Rich toward God. How could I be rich toward God? If I have a lot or if I have a little, how could I be rich towards God? That's the question you got to get your heart to. Beware of greed, it will kill you. But if you want to turn that on its head, how can I be rich towards God? Let me just give you five things that I wrote down as I studied the New Testament. Everywhere it said riches, everywhere it said money. Here, here I'm going to boil it down to five categories. Okay, ready? Humility. If you're humble, man, I can't believe I made that money. I worked hard for it. But it's not my money. It's God's. And, and you're humble with it, okay? If, if you, repentance. I think today, honestly, for me, this week has, has required a lot of repentance. I told my wife, get ready. I'm coming home to rearrange the closet and some stuff is getting repurposed, right? And, and I just think, you know, there's a lot of times God was speaking to me this week about my own stuff and and what I need, and what I don't need, and how I am towards him, and it's all his. We know that, right? It's all his. But repentance and getting our heart right again about our stuff, that's a key to being rich towards God. Thankfulness. Hey, God, I'm grateful. I'm so grateful. You've given me everything you've given me. Even this pain in this moment, you've given it to me. I'm grateful. 
Thanks that you're here, God, right now, right in this moment. Four, generosity. I think when we have a heart of generosity, a heart to give, not get, that's rich towards God. Then God can get his money wherever he wants to get it versus wherever I want to get it. And this last thing, contentment. I'm okay with what I have. I'd be okay if I had nothing and just Jesus. That would be enough. I think we had a message on that. I won't go any farther with that. Let me just say this in closing the first point. It's not wrong to own things as long as your things don't own you. Okay? It's not wrong to own things. You should own things. I'm glad you all came with clothes. That was a good choice. Okay? You can chuckle about that. That's kind of funny. It's getting a little serious in here, so you've got to get a little lighthearted. Smile a little bit. Isn't it true when God kind of gets right on our heart about a certain topic, it gets a little bit tenuous, doesn't it? It's not wrong to have stuff. I'm glad you have clothes. I got clothes. I'm glad you have a house. I have a house. Right? I'm not telling you should go sell all that. I'm telling you should leverage everything God's given you to get the gospel out. Okay? More to come on that. Okay. The second point is this. Stop worrying I want to say it better than that because some of you, stop is a little harsh, right? So don't, uh, be done with worrying, please. Please be done with worrying. Worrying's not helping you, okay? Worrying's not changing anything. It's not adding to your life. It's not making things better. The word anxious in the passage means to be torn apart. When you're anxious, you're tearing yourself apart. You're concerned, I get it, and you're worried, I understand. But Jesus says, don't be anxious. Do you see it there? He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, about what you'll eat, about your body, what you're going to put on, for life is more. He says, don't be anxious. Now let me ask you this. When Jesus tells us not to do something, and we do it, what is that exactly? What do you call that? Sin which separates us from God. So again, I would just tell you, stop worrying because God says it's a sin and it's separating you from God, which will make you worry more. Trust me. When you don't have God in the right spot, it'll make you worry more. And so, can I be careful? Anxiety is a real thing. I mean, there's some people that couldn't even walk through the door today. They stayed home today because they were so anxious. They had social anxiety. I am not saying anxiety is not a real thing. I'm not saying that. Okay? I don't know how, where and how you are physically and all that. What I'm talking about, I'm a pastor, I'm talking about spiritual things. Is everybody clear on that? And spiritually speaking, if you're anxious about things, then you're lacking faith. He's going to get to that in a second. And that's not good for you because the more you lack faith and the more anxious you are, the more you're going to be anxious and the less you're going to la- uh, uh, have faith. You've got to turn that frown upside down, okay? You've got you to figure out how to focus on Jesus and look at him and go, it's going to be okay. No matter what happens, it's going to be okay. No matter what happens, he's with me. No matter what happens, he created me for this. He's with me. He'll walk with me. He's, it's going to be okay. So I don't presume to know about anxiety and I'm not trying to speak to that. I'm just trying to say um, we have to stop worrying. It doesn't change anything. Matter of fact, it makes you worse if you do it, I'm sure. Um, A lot of people will say this. Okay, but what about Jesus in the garden? He seemed pretty anxious, didn't he? Sweating drops of blood and, you know. Just think about that, huh? What about that? Let's go, pastor. All right, now what, would, what, what was he doing with his anxiety? What was he doing with it? Father? Father? He was talking to God, his father, about it. So I would just prescribe to you this medicine right now. Start praying about it, okay? Start talking to God about it, okay? Start asking God about it. Start, God, if this could pass for me, would you let it? And if not, help me walk through it, right? That, that's what Jesus did. He's our example. Talk to the Father. Take it to God. It's a faith issue. 
And you see that in the rest of the passage. He says, consider the lilies, consider the ravens. And uh, it's more, uh, he says in here, life is more. It's much more. It's much more value. He says, they grow. He says, how much more? I'm just telling you, I came over to church to say there's more to life. And it's more than stuff. God has a lot more for you. What does he have for you? Well, he says it here, how much more? Will, you, uh, will he clothe you, O you of little faith? So what does God want more for you? If he says this is a little, he wants a lot, what does he want more of in your life? Can we be clear about that? More faith. Faith is not blind. You can read the scriptures. God laid out a whole plan. From the beginning to the end, he created it. I'll just give you one for instance. Okay, you're more valuable than the birds. Yep, you were created on the sixth day as God's prized creation. They were created on the fifth day. That's true from Scripture itself. You're more valuable than the lilies. Yep, that's true. God created you on the sixth day as the prize of his creation. He loves you very much. You know when he created plants? On the third day. Thank you very much. You're more valuable. Even in God's order of things, you're more valuable. He loves you more than the lilies, more than the plants. He loves you more than the birds or the animals. He loves you. You have a soul born with intellect, emotion, and will just like him. And he wants you in personal relationship with him. Grow your faith. God's done this whole thing for you. We are more valuable. I want you to think about it now. And not be worried. That's the last thing he says here in this point. He says, do not seek what you will eat or what you will drink, nor be worried. Now, does God know that you need food and water? Yep, pretty much. He created you that way. Did God create you to need clothes? Well, now we got a different topic. Sin might have had something to do with that. Right? So I think it's interesting that he doesn't put the clothes in here. It's just the food and water, right, at the bottom. It says you don't have to be worried about the eating and the drinking. Worried is a doubtful mind. It's to hold in suspense. It's literally the word worried in our dictionary comes from the word strangle. When you worry, you are strangling yourself. And that's not good. God's not strangling you. God doesn't want you to worry. God wants to like arm in arm this thing and walk through life together and love you so much. Well, let's get to that last point. Trust God. He knows what you need. Trust God. This is really the key. We need faith. Trust God. He says here in verse 30, for all the nations of the world seek after these things. And, by the way, that's true, and your father knows that you need them. He, you need food and water. But instead, seek his kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. Now, there's a verse that's really famous in the Bible that's a parallel passage of this, and it adds three words, and it's really important. Can you guess what verse it is? Matthew 6, 33, right? It says... But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's what was missing. And all these things shall be added to you. See, this is a salvation verse and you don't think it is. Because righteousness is what needs to be counted to you because we're unrighteous. We're sinners by nature, right? It's the reason we need clothes because we're sinners, right? We just needed food and water. God knew it. But now we need clothes because of sin, right? We've got to cover ourselves. We're naked. We know it. we got problems. Do you know it? Do you know sin's an issue? Because if you know sin's an issue, then you're looking for the solution. And you're trying to find the solution in a guy, and you're trying to find a solution in money, and you're trying to find a solution in a better job, and you're trying to find a solution in whatever it is, that dating relationship, whatever that is, right? You're fi- trying to find it. And the solution is right here in these words. And his righteousness. If we were to look at life through this lens, 
that we would seek first the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of salvation, kingdom of eternal life, and seek his righteousness, then everything else would turn upside down. Because if I look at Christ as the sole provider for everything I need eternally, then if he provided for me forgiveness of sins and salvation, can't he provide everything else I need? If he took care of my eternal provision, don't you think he could take care of my physical provision? Yes, he can. So keep your eyes on the Father that way. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. He died for us on the cross. Believer, I call you back to the gospel today. It's the best place to be. Unbeliever, I call you to the gospel today. It's the only thing that can save. It's the only thing that can rescue you from where you're at and take you on a totally different path. If you came in, you're like, oh great, a sermon on money. And now you can leave with like, I didn't learn anything about money. And it doesn't even matter. You know what I learned about? Jesus. And since I love him and he loves me, money don't even matter to me anymore. That'll take care of your money problem. That's what we need. He's our first provision for sin, and then he's the, I'll, I think he can provide for everything after he provides for my sin. As he recovers that, he can cover anything. For sure, my body can cover. You see, the way we view money, affects, uh, it affects our relationship with God. I want you to know that. The way you look at money affects your relationship with God. And then this last verse uh, I want to get to. Our money gives us clear indication of where our heart is. Our money gives us clear indication of where our heart is. You, you look at it. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He gets real tender at the end. Fear not, little flock, for it's Father's good pleasure to give you salvation, to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. I, sa I said that I would explain that. I'm a little over, but I'm going to explain it quick. Sell your possessions and give to the needy means this, okay? There's a time where you may need to sell something you own to help somebody else out. That's great. But if we all sell everything we have, then we'll all be needy. It doesn't make any sense. People want to take that out of contact and be like, I got to be poor, I got to be poor. No, you have to steward well, right? Sometimes it's good to sell what you have. I need to sell a stack of basketball cards this big. And I want to give it to something good. Maybe my college education for my kids or something. I don't know. Or maybe somebody needs something I don't know about yet. Like, I wish, God, that you could sell these. They were an idol at one time, and now I just want to get rid of them. But I don't want to throw them away. I want to steward them. All right? And then give it to the needy. Now, needy, when you hear the word needy, you think physical, don't you? Don't you automatically? You're thinking physical, aren't you? This is a spiritual book. God's talking about people that need Jesus. Sell some of your stuff, get some money, use it to tell people about Jesus. That's what he's saying. He's not saying sell your stuff and get it to somebody else. Then they got to sell their stuff and give it to you. And it's a vicious cycle. Wasting a lot of time when we could be presenting the gospel to people. He says provide for yourself money bags, wallets. Got your wallet? Man, mine's kind of tattered. If you look real close, like these cards will come right out the side. It's like I got holes in my wallet, right? This, this wall, I've had this for 10 years plus. It's on its last leg. Matter of fact, it's so on its last leg, it has holes in it and all that, that I bought a new wallet when I was in Canada. I'm carrying two. This one's empty. No, I don't carry it all the time. Trust me. <laughs> This one's all nice and clean. And is this what he means by new money bags? Supposed to get rid of the old one and get the new one, right? That's what he means. No. This money bag is not something to put your money in. This money bag is a spiritual thing. He's talking about spiritual wealth. He's talking about eternal life. It won't wear out, he says. No thief can steal it. Somebody could pickpocket me today in church. But no thief can steal bringing people to Christ. No thief can steal when you put riches in heaven by being generous with people. 
No thief can steal. No moth can corrupt or, or rip that up. No pest can destroy that. Do you understand what he's saying here? And he gets to the end. He says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Put that on the screen. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is life-changing stuff. So I just say, show me your checkbook, and I'll tell you where your heart is. Show me your tax return, I'll tell you where your heart is. I mean, it's real easy stuff, but it's hard for me to look at my own thing. Because my heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? It says, God searches the heart. God knows. You've come today. You've come to hear a word from the Lord. I've given you what I have, okay? Now, your job is to seek the Lord on that and search your heart. Beware of greed. It's killer. It'll kill you. It'll kill you. It'll kill you last physically, but it'll kill you spiritually right away. Stop worrying. It doesn't change anything. It's not helping. It's actually hurting you. Stop worrying. Faith is the answer, right? Trust God. He knows what you need. He knows if you need this trial. He knows if you need this money. He knows if you need this job. He knows if you need this friend. He knows what conversation you need walking out of here. He knows who he, you need to pray over you. He knows he, if you need to come down and be prayed over. He knows. My father knows I need because he knows my heart and because he knows I'm valuable. He knows. Jesus knows. Does money know? Does the world know? No, they do not know you like Jesus knows you. They didn't make you. They're trying to conform you, but they never created you. Is that clear? That's really clear to me after a week of studying, and I pray that it's clear to you today. Let's pray. God, help us to start trusting you and stop trusting our money. That much is clear. How much more, God, do you have planned for us when we simply trust you and obey your teaching on money? Give us faith to believe it, Lord, I pray, so that we might be different than the world we live in and generous with the gospel. God, only you can change my heart and only you can change my mind. Only you can change the way I look at money and only you can change how I use it for your glory. Change me, Lord. Change us, Lord. Give us faith to believe that you have more in this life than what we can see right now. I pray these things in Jesus Christ's name.